Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash CNN for a $1 per month trial. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, CNN's political director, and welcome to the CNN Political Briefing. Yes! Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year! So we're here in 2024, and that means the heat is on for November. And while the campaigning and fundraising and debating is about to ramp up, so are the things that threaten our democratic process. From election administrators quitting their posts to cyber attacks from foreign powers, the stakes for America's elections are higher than ever. Jessica Huseman has been keeping an eye on all of these factors as the editorial director at VoteBeat, a nonprofit news organization committed to reporting on elections and voting in this country. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. From where we left off in uh, the aftermath of 2020, I think much of the country got a much more robust lesson in how elections are conducted than perhaps anybody anticipated. And I'm wondering, from your perspective of somebody who covers this so closely, is the United States better off heading into 2024 in terms of its election systems and processes Uh, ready to perform the task ahead of it? Uh, Or is this a more concerning moment for the execution of an election? The systems themselves are stronger than they've ever been. And and, like we can have a conversation about what that means relative to how secure they should be. But they are secure, as secure, more secure than they've ever been. I think that what I worry most about is the sort of humans that surround that technological and logistics process. We've got more election deniers than ever holding county clerk offices, which often get a, an easy pass. We've got a lot of frustration and resignations happening among county clerk staff. And so even good faith people who have taken those jobs are very new. So we're in for a wild ride in 24, I think. Um, it, even if the system holds, I will be interested to see if the people do. Wow. I want to hit each of those things that you just sort of ticked through. But let's start with what you're saying about uh, structurally and technologically, the systems themselves or vulnerabilities there that experts you talk to raise concerns with you. You say it seems to be as secure and prepared a moment technologically as has ever been. Does that mean you don't hear many concerns from the experts that watch this? You know what? I don't. I like. I, I think that there are always people who are hyper-concerned about their area of computer science. And so they're going to tell you that the thing that they're focused on and their area of study is the most important thing to happen to American democracy that could ever happen to American democracy. And, and those are generally overblown. You know, I think evidence shows that the systems that we rely on in the United States are quite secure. The standards by which they are judged are newer, more up-to-date than they've been in years. And states themselves have taken much more responsibility thinking about and legislating in positive ways around the security, at least, of election technology. Can you think of an example Um, of that? Yeah, so 2020 forced forward a lot of vote-by-mail procedures that were otherwise not as secure as they could have been, right? So 
election over election, you're seeing the ability to cure signatures digitally. You're seeing ballot tracking. So people feel much more secure sending their ballot back through the mail because they can sort of see where it is and when it's been counted. And then a lot of signature verification technology has really taken a a huge swing upwards, right? Can you, for the layman uh, listening, curing a signature means what? Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this. This is great. Uh, So your signature, I'm sure you know this, if you've looked at any of your signatures going back a few years, your signature changes over time. And so the signature that they have on file might not look at all like the signature that you ultimately sign the back of your mail-in ballot with. And so if the humans or increasingly the software systems that are looking at these signatures reject them as being written by the same person, you can cure that or say, no, that was me. This is my signature. And then that will count, right? It's just an initial security flag to check to make sure that it hasn't been submitted under your name falsely. The counties that have been relying on sort of like human eyeballs for this, very, very imprecise, like very not good. Uh, And so now there's automation to this. There's standards that we can judge against and to and hold to account rather than sort of like 800 different eyes making 800 different decisions. What about foreign actors? Because I know in 2022, I believe it has been reported in those midterms that we did see some hacking linked to Iran, China, and Russia. Nothing that was proven to be impactful in terms of the election result, I understand. But clearly, these bad actors on the world stage are not all of a sudden going to become disinterested in trying to infiltrate or participate in some way in American elections. Right. Absolutely. I think we are under just as much threat as we have been. But I will say that, you know, I've been covering this really specific, weird, nerdy thing for a while, right? Eight years. And so in the time that I've been covering it, we have gone from having literally no infrastructure whatsoever to deal with foreign interference with our election systems. And by that, I mean the systems themselves and not like what people are saying about the candidates and how that might influence people to vote. The machines and yeah, and the how machines. the machines are connected to their reporting structures to get the results in. Yeah. Right. Or the voter rolls or all sorts of technology that sort of surrounds the way that we cast ballots and who does the casting of those ballots. Those systems which are entirely diffuse and often different from county to county, had no way of communicating threats with each other in 2016. The people who ran those systems often didn't have the appropriate clearance to even hear about threats from places like the Department of Homeland Security. That entire infrastructure has been stood up since 2016. And so it is not an exaggeration to say that all of this is new, right? Like all of it is. And so I think while we were hearing about pretty influential foreign actions um, in 2008, 2016, especially as it related to the campaigns, but definitely also as it relates to like voter registration systems and election websites, we're seeing less of that now. And I think it's because we have the ability to communicate against threats, right? Like, 
there's this really important thing in American like security that no one thinks about called critical infrastructure, right? And so the banks have had a critical infrastructure designation for a really long time. So if the banks, if there's like a, a bad actor that hacks even a tiny part of banks, right? Like those people can communicate with every other bank and be like, look out for this guy. Like this did not used to be the case for elections. Um, and now it is. And so I think that the, the impact of that really can't be overstated. We're going to take a quick break. We have a lot more coming up with Vote Beat's Jessica Huseman. Shopify's taking the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing for your retail store? Upgrade your point of sale system with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Get award-winning support and see why millions of businesses worldwide trust Shopify. Do retail right. Grab your $1 trial at shopify.com slash CNN. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash CNN for a $1 per month trial. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. We're here with Jessica Huseman, editorial director of the nonpartisan news organization VoteBeat. So we've discussed sort of the infrastructure and systems in terms of election security and preparedness for 2024. You had mentioned at the top of our conversation, Jessica, the biggest concern you have and what keeps you up at night is the human element around this. And I, I do want to focus our conversation there. Obviously, that plays out in multiple ways. You mentioned election deniers increasing their representation among election officials. And I'm wondering, A, is there some way in your reporting that you sort of quantify that? Or have you somehow mapped particular counties of concern in this regard? Yeah, so the counties that we're seeing this in most often are like the reddest of red counties. And I think this is a really important distinction to make, which is that this is happening in places where there is no like no one guarding the hen house, right? Like there are no opposing views in these places. And so the people who get elevated to leadership positions, like elections directors or county clerks, which are very frequently appointed positions, are being appointed by all Republican, most often boards that have very extreme views in how 2020 was handled and whether or not 2020 was fraudulent, right? And so when you get these folks in these positions, very frequently they will realize that the things they've been told aren't true and they have a job to do at the end of the day. Like these people deal with far more than just elections. They're also like dealing with land documents and titles, right? Like they actually have real responsibilities in these counties. So often you'll see these people in the course of about six months, like level out, right? And they just sort of like do their job because otherwise they can't. But very often you do not. And so we're seeing things like 
across the state of Texas and in places like Shasta County, California, where the local legislators there are making them do hand counting or deciding that like the machines are bad and we're going to get rid of our contract entirely, costing the counties millions of dollars. Um, But it doesn't really have a geographic home, but it does have sort of an ideological basis. You mentioned hand counting, Mm -hmm. which I know is something that has sort of currency in the election denier world and in the MAGA world. Is there something inherently wrong with hand counting? What is the problem with hand counting? You know, hand counting can be an option for really small places or if you only have one race to count, right? Like a lot of Republicans and the sort of election integrity crowd will say, well, France counts its entire presidential election by hand overnight, all paper ballots. Well, that's because there's one race on that ballot, right? The United States, the typical ballot has about 60 different choices on it. And these are everywhere from like ballot measures to candidate races, all of this, right? So it's a different animal entirely when you scale it up like that. It's not just one race. It's usually about a dozen. It's not just one person. It's 60, right? Like there are lots of different things that can go wrong. And when you do hand counting in the way that people think hand counting is done, you cannot use things like Excel. You can't use calculators, right? Like it has to be all one, two, three, four, five on tally sheets. And imagine counting to 80 a hundred times back to back to back, right? Like how many times would you actually end up with 80? Yeah, I was going to say, do you know, is there research that shows that the accuracy of hand counting is somehow better than the accuracy of machine counting? There is research that shows exactly the opposite, Right. right? Which is that like hand counting is horribly inaccurate. Humans are terrible at (laughs) tedious, meticulous tasks like counting. It's a terrible idea, right? There are really small voting jurisdictions in the United States that do hand count because they have so few races on the ballot and they have so few ballots to count that that makes more sense than investing thousands of dollars in a tabulation system, right? But we're talking about counties with less than 5,000 people with very few races, very rural. And so in those places, it's reasonable. But in most places, it just isn't. The other human element, and you alluded to this earlier, and this is something I have been uh, particularly uh, interested in and intend to follow throughout this election year, is the changeover in personnel who are working in these elections offices. And in many cases, even the volunteer personnel, right? I mean, I think... You know, there's probably few things, perhaps serving in the armed forces may be the only thing sort of at the level of patriotic duty that I can imagine of somebody working to help oversee and administer the free and fair election that is the bedrock of our democracy. So my hat's off to all of these election workers. But as you know, as anyone know listening who has gone to the polls to cast a ballot, these are largely First of all, largely volunteers, a lot of senior citizens, but dedicated Americans to this task and yet have come under such withering criticism in these last several years and questioning of motives that many of them are saying, to heck with this. I don't need this. And so we're going to have this influx of new people, perhaps, who have never done this before. And I'm wondering what kind of stress that potentially puts on the system. 
Oh my goodness, it's not going to be great, right? Like, and do you think the, I accurately described what is going on? I don't want to. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, I do. Yeah, I mean, I I think that we are facing a little bit of a perfect storm in terms of our ability to staff out elections. And I say that for two reasons. Like, one, the vast majority of America's polling staff has been well over the age of 70. And that has been the case for quite some time. There is not as big of a movement in younger generations, or at least there has not been for the past couple of decades to sort of like get folks moving in that direction. You see sort of pop-ups of this across the country trying to fix this problem, but we're not there yet. And so we were already dealing with that problem. The same was true for people who'd been county clerks forever and ever, administered elections professionally in these counties, had had their jobs forever. They were already reaching retirement age. And then 2020 happened, right? 2016 was bad enough. 2020 was a a whole different thing. And so a lot of these people streamlined, like fast-tracked their retirements. And so we... You know, we're working on an analysis right now in Pennsylvania about sort of like how many years of experience have been lost. And we're not even done with our analysis and we're well over 400. Wow. Um, And so it's hard to sort of understand or predict how many problems we'll face as a result of that, right? Because it has a lot to do with how well the new people are trained and how well the new people pay attention during that training and how well they communicate with their vendors and all of this really boring municipal government crap that like ultimately does add up to whether or not you can cast a ballot. Do you believe that the diffuse way in which America's elections are run and how decentralized they are is in and of itself a protective measure of the American electoral system? Yes, I do. It comes with its own costs, but I think like the base answer to that question is yes. You think the benefit far outweighs the cost? I do. And I and I mean, and I think because in order to get something that is equivalently secure in the United States that is not just diffuse, like security through diffusion, we would have to spend billions, like with a B, dollars to stand up systems that could support a whole country, like with all of the different laws and procedures governing the way that we vote and how we vote. To stand all of that up at once would be just a gargantuan task. And so I think we're sort of baked into what we have. And the benefit of that is that it's very difficult to like, quote unquote, hack more than one precinct even, and certainly not more than a county. When you saw the Rudy Giuliani defamation suit come out of Georgia with those two female election workers, many people will call them testifying before the January 6th committee in the House, and you, and you saw them uh, awarded this monumental payment. Did you feel like you were witnessing uh, justice for election workers at large? You know, no, I didn't. It was it was kind of a hollow victory, I feel like, because even that massive victory on behalf of Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, $150 million, they had to sue him again almost immediately because he continued to defame them, right? I think that the ideas that undergird the conspiracies that these folks are peddling related to folks like Mrs. Freeman and Miss Moss, like they're so entrenched at this point that it's going to take a real 
awakening of the Republican Party and an internal response to this in a way that we've not yet seen. And I'm hopeful that that will happen. I don't think it's going to happen before 2024, though. One big difference between 2020 and 2024 is that we are no longer in the midst of a pandemic. And we will probably see fewer mail-in ballots in 2024 than we saw in 2020. We'll see more than we saw probably prior than 2020, just because that's the trend of of mail voting in America. But 2020 was such an explosion in, in vote by mail because of the pandemic. Yeah. And we saw that return a bit to normal, and not, not quite normal, but a bit more back on the trend of this increase in mail voting uh, in 2022. Do you think that in and of itself, fewer mail ballots as a percentage of the overall ballots cast in 24 than 20 helps ease pressure on the system? Yes and no. So the advantage of the increase in mail ballots, especially in states that did not previously have a lot of mail ballots and and did mostly in-person voting, was that they had to recruit far fewer volunteers. And so now the pressure is back on to get enough poll workers to staff these places. And so that will be a challenge. Um, But I do think that the states that are getting to come back and do what they do best, which is like mostly a blend of voting, right? And so the way that voting goes the best is if you give people as many choices as possible, right? It's not just a vote by mail system. It's not just an in-person system. It's not just a whatever, right? You have all of these things and then people can pick what works best for them. I'm thrilled to be talking to you as we kick off 2024 because I feel like we can put... One of our New Year's resolution collectively as a country should be as least bumpy a ride when it comes to the casting and counting of ballots this year uh, on the top of our resolution list. I'm sure we will be talking again throughout this election season. I really appreciate your time, Jessica. Yeah, happy to be here. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured on a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use the recording on the podcast. CNN Political Briefing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Madeline Thompson. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lainey Steinhardt, Jameis Andrist, Nicole Pesseru, and Lisa Namoro. And special thanks to Katie Hinman. We'll be back with a new episode on Friday, January 12th. Thanks so much for listening.